1: Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Sina Gaznovi at Sina now on all social media. Please check out our Discord link and bio for all the latest Fraudsters updates. We are the show that takes a hard look, not just at the scams that we see in the news, but who the people are that are committing these gods. Why did they do it? Where did they learn it? What motivates them? If you're a person that has taken advantage of vulnerable people financially, we will find you. We will make fun of you, and we will learn your ways and absorb your powers for good. Um, Today, we're talking about <clears throat> orgasms again. I hope the bass was turned up on your radios when I said orgasms. Because, frankly, we think it's a certain kind of awful to use wellness and and the vulnerability of the pleasure-o uh, to make a buck. Justin Williams is here with us in the virtual studio again at Justin Williams comedy on Instagram. Justin Williams you can see him on Facebook. Send him an email, he'll come to your house. Justin, have you managed to have an orgasm since last week? That's the big news. That's what the fans want to know.
2: Uh, no, I'm from
1: Missouri. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, great. Let's keep it moving then. Uh, We've got Dr. Jordan Sober back with us, a friend of the last podcast network. You've seen her on streams with Jackie Zabrowski. I'd like to welcome the good doctor. Jordan Soper, certified sex therapist and owner of the Center of Sexual Wellness in Nevada. Dr. Jordan, welcome back to the show.
3: Hello. I'm very excited to be back to continue this
1: wondrous conversation. And we're so happy to have you as well. You know, last week we talked about One Taste, It's founder Nicole Day and how she repackaged the sexual practices that started with Vic Barranco and the Lafayette Morehouse communes. One thing we missed, though, was that Barranco's teaching would go on to actually become actual teachings at Moore University in California. It was authorized by – it just fucking kills me. It was authorized by California to be an accredited post-secondary institution. From 1977 to 1997, Moore University provided bachelor degrees in humanities – a master's in humanities and doctor of philosophy. That's a PhD in sensuality or lifestyles. What? What?
2: Lifestyle, you- like a PhD in lifestyles, the
1: condom brand. Do they still make
3: <laughs> lifestyles anymore? They do. They do. I have some in my office. Oh, nice. <laughs> what?
1: So you 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 vouch for a lifestyles <laughs> condoms, right then, I guess.
3: I, I'm I'm a fan of like Trojan Promescent does some really good ones, lifestyles right up in there. Just make sure you're not you don't have a latex allergy, but I definitely have goodie bags that I'll give to patients and during conferences. I'm like, here, here are some condoms. Here's some lube. Please enjoy. Always need
1: more lube.
2: I still use Ramsey's. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> uh here's the mission statement for the university, because I want to get into This is absurd. Moore University is dedicated to researching and validating the possibilities for developing an improved quality of life. That is the most uh, w- absurdly generic fucking mission statement. That's just like, I want you to be happy. What, Dr. Jordan, have you ever seen that in any sort of, uh, in, your, in your work, that kind of a mission statement or goal?
3: I have not. My background in higher education has definitely been through actual accredited agencies, looking at accredited universities through national boards and not state organizations like the like higher credentialing boards looking at, at least in psychology, we have the American Psychological Association that accredits different doctoral programs. I can pr- almost probably guarantee the APA was not consulted for some of this stuff. Yet they're kind of giving a claiming that they can do a Ph.D. in human sensuality or sexuality. Also, time frame that we were talking about a little bit last time is this is what 1977 to 1997. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a huge generational gap and and technological issue that we got to talk about there too. This was pre the internet. This Mm. was pre a lot of credentialing boards and ease of access for research and data. A lot of people were just doing things on their own and they were just trying to figure out what they were doing. And there wasn't any oversight. This is a good example of why some credentialing boards really need to exist. So, so
1: I didn't realize there was a, there's a state, you could get a credit at the state level and then there's like a national level. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's, that's good information for me to know. So California living up to being California, the weirdest place in the country, uh, I guess next to Florida. I don't know. Uh. This is, I don't see this happening in Florida. Justin, what do you think? You're a PhD.
2: Well, yeah, no. So before there was accreditation boards, there was this guy in Northern California named uh, Fillmore Slim, and he had a PhD, but it, it turns out it was a pimp and hose degree, and that <laughs> is not accredited by modern standards. We, we 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 had the Middle States Commission look into it, and the curriculum uh, was not rigorous. Uh, I mean, I think all. it was
3: probably very rigorous. Actually, that <laughs> is what it was. <laughs>
1: Oh, not my. a lot of readings, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hands on experience. OK, let's uh, let's keep. <laughs> but I know the the thing that amazes me, though, is that people used this in a way that benefited them. So people went mm-hmm. through the university and it's not like they knew about, you know, Broncos sex exploitations through the communes and stuff like that. There were elements of this that I guess helped people, or at least mm-hmm. led people to be publishing positive, uh, you know, academic papers. How do you really kind of reconcile that, Dr. Jordan?
3: I think, and this relates not just to more university, but to any research when you are trying to understand, digest, and comprehend actual research. It's relatively difficult looking at sample sizes. Where did they get the research from? Who were the samples? Who were the participants in a lot of modern psychology? And that's where I can kind of speak to the majority of research is done on what's called a convenience sample. That's grad students, that's undergrads. It's usually that, or you can get a community sample of people who are just generally there. It's hard to get research done on a general populace. So anytime you're looking at research, you want to make sure that you're looking at where, who was this studied on? Where this information, who did it relate to? And you're looking at a number of variables of how were, how was the material validated? How did they define things? So when we look at what came out of more university, they may have published a lot or they may have done a lot of research, how valid, how reliable, how psych, how, scientifically sound is the material doing research is not hard but it's also very easy to fudge data we saw that a lot with some of the the original material that came out of the uh, studies where people claimed that autism and vaccines were connected that person fudged the data that was actually completely inaccurate but yet our entire culture there is this anti-vax movement using that as the main foundation So when you're reading research, where did it come from? Who was the credentialing board and the accrediting board that was involved, but also who funded the research, who was in charge of it? Do they have a background of fudging data?
1: Justin, you were the, probably the first person to get me really into thinking about peer reviewed studies. We've talked about that a lot. And Mm -hmm. you were like, is it peer reviewed? Uh, Can you, you know, have you come across that where there's just you see something from a university that's like, what, from some small uh town or something like that or some like mildly accredited place? and You're like, this can't be right. Is this peer reviewed properly?
2: No, it's not about the size of the school, uh the person working at the school. It's actually just about whether it's going through peer review at all. Mm-hmm. So mm, I it's see. just like, yeah, it's just like, you know. Alarm bells go off when it's like self-published yes. stuff. Very ah, much so. the yeah. old
1: self-publish. Oh, check out yeah. my Tumblr. Uh, yeah. you could peer review. It. <laughs> it, it's uh,
3: it's very much it's very much the uh, masturbatory version of research of just like let me see how much I can come all over everyone.
2: Oh, just okay. Like, well, there we so, go. Like,
3: doing my own stuff, <laughs> but yeah, peer yeah. review is so imperative in research because that means that multiple agent, multiple people from different backgrounds have had eyes on this they are credentialed they have the background that proves that they actually know what the hell they're talking about and also let's just talk about grammar for a second the amount of terrible grammar in some of these research articles that's another benefit of peer review you get extra eyes going on it and going that's not the right there you're using yeah
1: (laughs) it's always sad when a phd screws up the the theirs um, so we also, after last week's episode, had some emails come in and mm-hmm. one person sent us an email that and I, I'm just so grateful that she sent it in. It was amazing. I feel so, so validated as a podcast host when you get a, a letter like this. Uh, she said that uh, we shouldn't use her name, obviously. um, We'll call her Frank. No, uh, she did give us permission to read her story, though. So I'll go ahead and do that. I'd love to hear what you guys think of it afterwards. Hi, guys. Always been a big fan waiting for your 20 part on Sean King. <laughs> when I was in college, my boyfriend's mom attempted to get me to take classes and bought me slow sex for Christmas after we'd been... Dating for two months. Uh, By the way, Slow Sex is the book that Nicole Daydone wrote. I've been trying to not say the title of the book to to make sure that no one tries to go and buy it. Uh, But I wanted to do the, uh, the email justice here. She isn't really that target audience you hypothesized about. She was a very trusting Los Angeles stereotype. She had a very successful Pilates studio and sold it to work more for free for Nicole. This has been my dinner party story for years. My ex's mom tried to get me to join a sex cult, and I've followed their official website for years. They change every few years, and their online presence is completely different today than it was in 2013 when this happened. I knew nothing about Nicole. I've only read the book multiple times, both as a way to figure out how to talk to my boyfriend about this and as a joke with my family. My dad got drunk once and read it aloud at a Christmas dinner one year. For Catholic, it didn't go over that well. The only thing I wanted to add is that she kind of redefines orgasm at the beginning of the book to mean, quote, pleasurable feelings. She separates orgasm and climax so that she can avoid people complaining about not coming. You're not supposed to come. Also, it's really homophobic. They say same-sex couples can own, but it's not what they think is best. This episode was fascinating. Thank you so much. I have much more empathy for the victims now and will be retiring my story. Dr. Jordan, you did mention this, I believe, when we were talking, that she kind of separates uh, the pleasurable part Mm -hmm. of the orgasm. Uh, does, Does that make sense to you?
3: It does. And that's where I think this is marketing 101 of operationally defined the term to capture the audience. To look at how she's she's presenting it as like oh me, like orgasmic meditation, but yet she's claiming it's all about pleasure. You can have pleasure by eating something. You can experience pleasure when you sneeze really well, or when you stick a Q tip in your ear. Oh, pleasure! It, oh, best moment
1: oh, right God, there. just let's take so a moment good. and just think <laughs> about that feeling. Everyone, everyone, <laughs> take out your AirPods gently. I want you to go to your bathroom right now, everyone. I want you to gently pick up a Q-tip. I want you just so softly insert that Q-tip into your right ear. <laughs> okay, now we're back. I mean, that's kind
3: of that, – that is a perfect voice right there. And that's kind of <laughs> what she was claiming is the idea is expanding the definition of pleasure in a sexual encounter. The idea that your brain can produce pleasure using orgasmic meditation as she's claiming it. But this is where we start getting into, this is false information. This is clickbait is Mm. probably the best way to describe this material. It does not work versus someone like Betty Dodson, who really emphasized the female orgasm and about pleasure and about self-love and solo based sex What we have seen this person do is not actually what she is claiming and has made a fortune off of it and taking advantage of people who are genuinely maybe experiencing legitimate sexual dysfunction.
1: And I'm really happy uh, that this person emailed, too, because uh, in my head, I really did think it was mainly like the nerdy hackers or the tech bros and those kinds of folks that were kind of in that space because that's who it seemed like she was marketing to, especially with a fucking TEDx talk. Uh, but you know this this email really discusses that it was you know a, a, a woman who sold a Pilates studio, a, a person that was really solidly in the wellness space, and I think that was the kind of sheen that a lot of the previous versions of this, like the Bronco version of this, didn't necessarily have. It was a lifestyle, but it wasn't about wellness. This is jumping on the the wellness trend that everyone's really into,
3: and within that too, it's even how are you defining wellness within it too it's like how much money is really quite in there and following the money is probably one of the most helpful things when we look at this and looking at someone's financials and and the the author of this email really highlighted their online presence really changes you're looking at rebranding you're looking at marketing you're looking at following trails you can't really exist in modern day without an email address or without a website or without that online presence And looking at how that has now changed from where it was in 2013, that smells of what do you have to hide?
1: Dr. Jordan, I'm so happy you actually brought up like where is the money coming from because uh, I'm glad we took a minute to also find this guy. Uh, So, you know, one of the reasons that the sales tactics came in, and we talk about the fraud triangle a lot, is that when you have uh, the opportunity and the pressure, you can start to rationalize the fraud that you do. And Reese Jones was this guy. He was like a tech entrepreneur, and right now I guess he's still a, a fellow at UC Berkeley. He's an advisor. He developed Netopia, developing wireless broadband internet gateways and carrier class. This is one of those like tech, like you know, millionaires that invented something that none of us know, but is in every one of our devices kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He also invented um, or was part of a, or founded a big company that did a lot of online advertising years ago. So the guy has a ton of money and he was their initial kind of giving them a ton of money, but it wasn't enough. So they had to kind of create these very aggressive sales tactics to keep up with it. But just look at this. I mean, I don't, you know, we don't need to.
3: According to this New York times article that I found from 2009, it says that it, that Reese Jones was her boyfriend. Yeah.
1: This, that's the other thing is that they were dating. They were supposedly dating, but you never know. Maybe he was just her stroker and uh, that was his job. Mm-hmm. So part of me thinks that, you know, could they have been dating? Was he the one influencer or was it the other way around? Was he the one that was just being taken for a ride? And then eventually he was just like, I don't know if I can keep funding this whole thing. So it is this kind of interesting. You don't, you never know.
2: Yeah, and it's weird because he looks like Steve Bannon and Ricky Gervais had a baby a little bit.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this guy he was just one of many uh, tech people that kind of came through. Uh, you know, one taste came through one taste. Jesus Christ came through okay. one taste. I know you just, just- wrote their new slogan. I came through one taste.
3: <laughs> that I don't know why they didn't use that they would have had a lot better advertisement and make their job a lot easier.
1: All right, so I want to talk a little bit more about one taste and the specifics of it. But first, Dr. Jordan, I wanted to just break down what is orgasmic meditation. An explainer uh, on orgasmic meditation. Justin has never had an orgasm. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So I think it'd be helpful to have a professional do this. If Hazel could cue the music, Dr. Jordan, what is orgasmic meditation?
3: Orgasmic meditation, as discussed in this approach, essentially is the utilization of thinking in an effort to produce a biological, physiological response in the form of an orgasm, with very minimal touching, really focusing on what your body is going through and using your mind to induce an orgasm or an orgasmic response.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Justin, does that help you understand what maybe you've been missing in your life? Uh yeah, the, the minimal touch.
2: Touching sounds really cool. (laughs) Uh. I also (laughs) have so
3: many questions because I think I want to know the script that she's using. I want to know what she's doing. Like, I have so many questions about what this is because orgasmic meditation is nothing new. Right. Getting your brain involved is very important for any sexual encounter, whether it's with a partner, whether it's with yourself, like having your brain involved. My spidey senses go up with her a little bit is this idea of this is the best way. This is what you're missing to have an orgasm. And it takes you. It's a lot of you shaming underneath all of this versus ownership of your pleasure, ownership of saying to your partner, hey, go left. No, go faster. Right there, right there. Keep going. No, I meant keep going. It takes away the actual messaging that we encourage in people using their own voice, not their own, not necessarily focusing only on their mind and meditation.
1: Your question was you had a lot of questions about how this works. But if you really wanted to find out, Dr. Jordan, you could yourself pay $499 for a weekend course, $4,000 for a retreat, $12,000 for a coaching program, or $16,000. For an intensive in 2014, One Taste even started selling a year long $60,000 membership, which let buyers take all the courses they want and sit in the front row. It's like it sounds like a Gallagher show.
2: Uh, I'm a coach, it, I got a coach at Planet Fitness. Uh,
1: tell me, like,
2: you're gonna come today, you're gonna come, come try harder. It's, uh, what?
3: <laughs> what i just why is it so expensive can we just talk about that yeah. for a second why Yo. is it so expensive do you have any sex toys you can buy with that that will definitely oh make God.
1: you come your the hand is free yeah. <laughs> Like your
3: imagination. Like I like, let's talk about imagination and let's talk about fantasy. Let's make up. I do this with patients all the time. Let's make up scripts. What is your fantasy? Mine's always Tom Hiddleston and Lestat from Queen of the Damned. Like I can work with that. It doesn't require $60,000 worth.
1: This is where it gets really gross and where the fraudsters kind of angle comes in here because like, this is, it blows me away that people would spend this much money. Um, one day says that about 1,400 people uh, had taken the coaching program. Uh, 6,500 had come into an intro class, uh, which is about, uh, I think, 99 bucks or something. And 14,000 had signed up for online courses or the app. Online
2: um, courses? The, the, <laughs> <laughs> It's like the University of
1: Phoenix coming. I would super teach that class just for free. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they had a full scale product marketing campaign. They set up booths at life hacking conferences and early morning dance parties, which I can't stand those early morning dance party things, by the way. I think I'm like like emotionally, physically, uh, like uh, religiously against having a club party start. Is that
3: different than the people who go to Raves just with their own headphones in and it's just quiet otherwise?
1: It's a little different. Like those are a different Different breed vibe, (laughs) different breed. It's still weird, but at least it's at night. Like, I don't want to wake up, like brush my teeth, like have breakfast and then go to the club. It just seems strange. You gotta have breakfast after the club. That is the point. Yeah. That is how you do the club. Justin.
2: If you have not passed out at a Denny's in Orlando. At uh, 4 a.m. with a piece of bacon in your mouth. And you didn't do the club right.
4: offer subject to change valid for qualified residential customers only service not available in all areas restrictions apply
2: for over 130 years mccormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive take over taco night no matter how chaotic your day is conquer the bake sale even if you get to it last minute And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going
1: to be great. They had shirts and slogans like the pussy nose and asking a passerby, how's your orgasm? Way worse than Greenpeace. I think that's way worse than Greenpeace. <laughs> but there were like the, the people. So I want to talk about the sales tactics here and, and how they were able to use it because the, the um, Bloomberg did a great write up on this. we actually got some quotes from people that work there. This is from Ruin Mipagala, who went uh, to his first One Taste event in 2012 when he was 24 years old. Uh, he left two years later and left owing $30,000 on his credit card. He said, The first time I didn't cover my credit card bill, it broke something in my mind. So uh, by broke, in a good way, mm-hmm. like broke it through.
3: It was just like, oh shit.
1: Yeah. I was no longer afraid of debt. He says once you break that barrier, three thousand is the same as thirty thousand. And at one point, Mipagala complained that he and his coworkers hadn't been paid in two months. He says the public he was publicly shamed for having a scarcity mindset. Now, I had three hundred thousand dollars in law school debt, so I can understand what it means three thousand <laughs> or thirty thousand or three hundred thousand. What's the difference? But this is different. So this was using sex and orgasm to financially um, control people and make them give money. Is this where we get into coercive sexual control? Is this how we can you talk about that a little bit bit with
3: coercive sexual? I think it's also to some degree it's selling it's selling a product that you can produce on your own with a framing of you need professional help. You need intensive work to do this and let me do this for you. But this is the price and it's a very steep price because even if we think about the rate of a psychologist, I'm going to look at my my profession. We usually range anywhere between one hundred to maybe three hundred at the top end an hour. If this person is charging sixteen thousand dollars, do you know how many therapy sessions that would actually cover? Yeah. So it's a little bit of looking at selling of a product that a person can be attached to and is saying, okay, this is a tangible product versus, well, I have to do work. I have to make these changes. I need to engage in differences. But it also is, it's, it's psychology and marketing. They marketed very well. Some of the best pyramid schemes have marketed very well. And this one smells a little bit like one because they're selling a product that people want and need. They genuinely need it. But doing so in a way that has no evidence base behind it and the way in which they're doing it and the ratio of the cost seems disproportionate to the outcome.
1: Yeah. The marketing for this is, again, very uh, tech broy in a way. They went and started targeting businesses because businesses have an HR budget for wellness. So they can pay for experiences uh, when it comes to this stuff. So they would go in and teach Ohm principles uh such as like a quote feel over formula stay connected no matter what Um, and then they were even saying we're having conversations with companies about hashtag me too and how to teach connection as preventative health for companies rather than treating the disease of sexual harassment
2: like that yeah that's like absolutely insane right it's like Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'm making a face. You'll have less HR lawsuits if you just politely walk up to a secretary and go, well, how is your orgasm? I intend to stay connected. This is not exploitive in any way. And this is appropriate workplace (laughs) behavior because I took this class, you know, so... You can't Me to me.
1: <laughs> Can you imagine walking into your office like, OK, here for my one on one boss? Like, uh, I'm glad you're here for your one on one. Now, please take off your pants. I'll keep my clothes on. I've laid some pillows down here. And oh, my God. They're also God. missing
3: the entire point of the Me Too movement and the ta- conversation about coercion, sexual harassment and sexual assault, which is sexual harassment and sexual assault has nothing to do with sex. Yeah. It's all about power. And that is the problem with this. It is creating this power divide, whether it's a financial power divide, whether it's a knowledge power divide, but it does very much feel that coercive power differential of you can't do it yourself. You need me. I'm the one who can make you come. (laughs) Um, No, that's that's the coercion. We are in charge of our own orgasms.
2: Yeah, this is like, it'd be like Matt Lauer saying, okay, yeah, I took the button from under my desk that locked my door, but I took these classes. So it's like, that's not not
1: the point. No, not the point. Yeah. And then internally, those sales tactics, Mm -hmm. very, uh, you know, um, multi-level marketing-esque, pyramid scheme-esque, they would actually have very aggressive sales tactics. You know, before events, sales teams would often watch one of Nicole's Before sales events, they would watch one of their favorite YouTubes, which is a pack of lionesses hunting together. And former staffers, they used to call customers marks, Mm -hmm. which is like, I mean, could you have been typecasted into our show by calling your customers marks and refer to themselves as lions, tigers? And sometimes, drumroll please fluffers wait uh it's so offensive to the good fluffers out there by the way that are trying to do actual work of fluffing
3: on so many so many levels again the 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 use of language is very important and that's when i don't think they're actually focusing on orgasm they're focusing on power to call someone oh they're a mark or we are hunting them that's sales that's cultish that is coercive that is a power play versus saying, I want to help people. Let me like, come to me. I'm not going to go out there and hunt you down. Like that's in our field. We call that ambulance chasing. Like you can't do yeah. that. It violates our ethics. That is also one of the biggest things I'm noticing with a lot of these topics, not just what what's happened within these different areas, but there's no, there's no ethical guideline guiding this. These people are not trained medical professionals. They're not certified. By actual credentialing bodies, they're almost credentialing themselves and it's a giant circle truck.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would agree. Uh, you know, there was even cases, of course, you know, when you, when you talk about all of this stuff and how intense it is, of course, there's violence there. So there was the cases of uh, of domestic violence. In one, uh, one case, there was uh, an employee that literally in front of other people started hitting his partner and they fired him. And then they rehired him sometime later because they said they believed in rehabilitation. Yeah, so there's no real facts of whether it was tolerated or promoted or anything like that. But these are things that are naturally going to happen when you have a culture like that um, in an organization like One Taste. And and mind you. As the company grew, they started building these like centers Mm -hmm. and that's where the real Bronco real estate savviness comes into play. If you have land and you have these leases, if you have these places that gives you status and that gives you a place for people to come, it gives you a place for people to congregate and it gives you a place for vulnerable people to show up and feel like they have Mm -hmm. shelter.
2: Scientology! (laughs) (laughs) Literally the same
1: thing. (laughs) I mean, I, at this point, I think Scientology feels a little bit PG compared to these people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was the real
2: estate located in like all gentrifying markets or key places like it's like Oakland? Uh, you know, it's like we get this place in uh,
1: you know Hoboken. Yeah, they're they're not building an Ohm center by Yankee Stadium, that's for sure. Uh, well, Justin, you're hitting right in the
2: head too. You're
3: looking at systemic, di- like systemic issues of distribution of wealth distribution of finances where they're basically they're buying up land in some of these areas and looking at who are they trying to target? They're trying to target, like target people who have a significant amount of either monetary resource or who are going to sacrifice a lot of their livelihood to give that monetary resource, to be a part of something bigger, to be a part of it. And that's really getting into vulnerable populations. That's getting into systemic issues of who are you hunting? Literally you're hunting people, to be a part of whatever this is without actually identifying, is this helpful for this person and what systems in that person's life and their history, including trauma history, makes them vulnerable. There's no conversation about this being a vulnerable population hunt. That's what I think it
1: is. One of the things they did was this thing called quote aversion practice. And it's this company's teaching that you gain power and expand your orgasm within the group by performing sexual acts that you don't want to do or doing them with people you find disgusting. Now, is this where we get to coercive ser- sexual control here? Is this the definition just right in front of our faces? Being shown your eyes and eyebrows seem to be telling me yeah. that yes.
3: So not only is this coercive, <laughs> that's just assault. Yeah. That, yeah. that that's just assault. We've now passed we're we're beyond coercion to that because the idea of aversive, an aversive model, that's not what that actually is. Like there. like, ugh, I'm going to calm, calming, calming things down. Yeah. Essentially, this is someone basically saying the only way to get over your issue is to engage in this behavior with someone that you don't want to. You have now automatically put that posi- that person in a position of now I have to do this if I want to get better. That is not only coercive, that is assaultive. That is these people engaging in predatory perpetrative behaviors. That is never going to be okay. Now that's very different than saying like an exposure model. An exposure model would say, hey, I noticed that you're feeling anxious when you use a vibrator. Maybe let's work on you using a vibrator with yourself or just having it near you while you try. And then you reduce your anxiety because you actually want to. It requires the person to choose, the, to have the autonomous choice of, I want to do this versus someone else saying, you will get better if you do this, when they actually don't want to do the thing. And it's removing their choice. The moment you remove choice, now it's power. Now it's
2: assault. Yeah, And, is it, and also, I imagine there's a self-serving gender element to this too, right? I imagine women are the ones who are doing the most aversion, not men, right?
1: Yeah, I would probably I would say so. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes apparently they would they would assign you a sex manager for the week, and that person would go on Tinder or ask the community uh, and line up a person for you to sleep with each day and do all the texting, uh, tell you who to meet. Uh, this is just mm-hmm. completely destroying the sense of self. Uh, and I think money is also s- like these two things, right? Your sexuality or the sex I- sexual identity or your orgasm. Mm-hmm. It is they're so personal mm-hmm. and money is right there with it because we live in a capitalist society, whether you like it or not. This is a capitalist country in a society we live in. Those so things much. are tied so intricately that it just I, I can't imagine two other things that could be more destructive to the human psyche than those two.
3: And even the, fun, the fundamental of, oh, we'll 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 do this for you. That's not how you actually engage in change. You teach someone, okay, let's go through this let's go through this message together. What might you say? Let's talk about why you might say that. You wanna have sex with this person? Great, what are some of the actions you wanna engage in? It's teaching a person, when done healthily, it's teaching a person to do the action on their own versus the creation of a dependency upon these people and this organization that the only way the person can engage in the behavior is if someone else does it for them. That creates the power differential, but marketing wise, that creates buy in to continue. It. So,
1: I want to talk about two things. One, let's can we break down who the kind of people are that are perpetuating these things? So, the people that are working there internally that are forcing these sales taxes, that are forcing these sexual managers, and what impact that has on the victims and what is their experience? We've we've had uh, I've seen uh, quotes here in the news stories that. That you know there were marriages that happened within one taste, and now obviously afterwards there's divorces happening, there's uh disability from people that that, that are happening, they there are intense therapy afterwards. Mm-hmm. Let's start let's start with the perpetrators first. What is their mindset like? Who what kind of what's going through their heads in a bit? I know that's we're postulating a little bit here, but in your professional opinion, what's the kind of type that we're talking about here?
3: It's a great question because we can't really quite pinpoint, but we know that individuals who might engage in predatory or perpetrative experiences are usually those who get rewarded for engagement in those behavior. Because when we look at how humans work, if you engage in a behavior and you get rewarded for it, that increases the likelihood that you're going to engage in a behavior. So likely someone who has a history of being praised for it. So whether that's through a financial implication, whether that's positions of power, normally you're gonna see that a little bit of people who have engaged in power differentials historically are more likely to engage in that. The biggest indicator is probably individuals who have a history of engagement in prior violence or prior perpetrative behaviors, whether that's sexually assaultive behavior, whether that's interpersonal violence, one of the best indicators for future behavior is past behavior, particularly with violence. Violence is not always physical. Sometimes it's the emotional. So looking at a history of coercive relationships or looking at people who, this one is a bit of a generalization, so I do apologize, but people who are yeah. dating significantly younger, like if you got someone in their 40s dating an 18-year-old, Yeah. yeah there's something, but they're getting something from that. Age well. is just a number, Dr. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Saying got some state regulations that have some conversations about that too.
2: Yeah, is the title of a R. Kelly produced album (laughs) aged not well
3: at all? No, some of it really didn't. Do we do we know the gender and sex diff like the actual sex differential of the people who were engagement? Like, did she surround herself with other women? What was the gender differentiation? What was the like racial like inclusion and diversity? of emphasis like what did this actually look like or are they not releasing any of that i assume
1: uh i some of the the um uh, leaders of it like the the executives if you will were women uh i don't know the specific numbers on uh the differentials not for nothing this seems like some white people shit but i don't want to uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: that, that's, where my yeah head, that's where my head was going so that's <laughs> why i'm asking
2: and i'm gonna go right yeah i don't even have like any data or anything <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that like top Toxic black machismo <laughs> prevents any participation in any. Yes, yeah. like, t- I'm gonna pay you to teach me how to come. I know how to come. I make everybody come. Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine them pitching this to like any guy that's like in the hip hop community? Like, what? I
1: make so, everybody come. Do, do you uh, listen to my song? Excuse me, Mr. Cameron, we notice you wear a lot of pink. Um, We'd love for you to join us. How's your orgasm? What the Fuck.
3: fuck? Yeah, this definitely feels has a little bit of a flavor of some of that historic, especially looking at the timeline. If we look at the context of when she created this, it's got a lot of white savior connected to it. Yeah. A lot of that underpinning of and especially when we look at the studies in the 1970s and 80s amongst even gender studies, when we look at it, it was very, very bias. It was very biased in how and who was doing the research, who had the funding, where this all come from and looking at some of that as well. It's got a flavor connected to that as well.
2: Yeah, even Richard Pryor's comedy from like the late 60s and (laughs) 70s talking about this is like, you know, it's like white people don't even come. Like You know, Richard (laughs) Nixon's never came. You know, Black people, we come all the time. We come loud. You know, and it's like the, the, the audiences are going crazy. Yeah, I think there is a different, you know, there's you know, there's like puritanical like sexual ethics that yeah. don't impact uh, black people in the like in the same way it impacts white people. I'd say sex is not as shamed, even yeah. though we have, even though even like yeah, even you know like a ton of us like go to church too. But I'd say the relationship to sex is is very different in our popular culture. I, I think it's
3: such a good point of the way that we. In a macroculture, microculture is the way that the different systems we talk about sex. It's very different. Like West Coast versus East Coast talks about sex differently. If you look at the South versus the North, you're going to look at different viewpoints and expectations with sex. It's so intricate. Mm. So for this organization to have a sweeping protocol to say everyone will come using this modality. Fuck off. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, Everyone's going to have a different relationship to their body, to their sexual experience, to their identity for their entirety of their life. They're also not taking into account them, that a lot of people have had negative messages about sex, that that may have caused the pleasure gap or may have caused the orgasmic issues without addressing that and just focusing on physiological response that's what's going to actually hook someone for years of trying to have an orgasm without emphasizing the importance of cultural variables the importance of their individualization
1: so let's talk about the the victims here and what are the i guess the multiple avenues of trauma that they've been that they are probably experiencing here um so again, I, I mentioned some people, the, the, the intense financial debt, mm-hmm. dozens of thousands of dollars of financial debt. One guy uh, basically stopped talking to his son and and wife and, and basically broke off his marriage, uh, became estranged from his son, and then went through this whole program afterwards. Now came back and is like trying to rebuild a relationship with his son. What are some of the things that these victims are kind of going through because of stuff like this?
3: There's probably a multitude in all honesty. The first one that yeah. comes to my head is shame. They're going to feel shame for why did I do this in the beginning? How could I have been so stupid that that, that I actually let this happen? Does this actually mean that my sex life is going to be impacted? Does this mean I actually can't have an orgasm? Shame is going to be the first and foremost. It's going to also probably skew relationships like wholeheartedly of looking at power differentials in in normative power differentials in relationships asking for help is probably going to be severely impacted even ptsd or trauma symptom responses flashbacks during during future sexual encounters may be may be very common if they've had to engage in coercive and assaultive sex practice We're looking at a multitude of potentially chronic difficulties as a result of this. In addition to physiological, like what has gone on to their bodies? Was there physical violence? Are we looking at uh, like long-term stress reactions hurt your physiological system? So there is a multitude of it, not to mention the financial implication of can they undo all the debt? Yeah. And how do they talk about it
1: too? It's incredible, but also not surprising that you mentioned shame and skewed relationships and asking for help. Those are three things that basically all victims of fraud all that we've mm-hmm. covered on our show experience. The shame one, especially, yeah. especially ones when we talk about people that have been You know, uh, in a cryptocurrency thing or people that have been taken on by a uh, multi-level marketing thing or a Ponzi scheme, like they trusted someone, that trust that gets broken. It is – I've experienced it personally. I mean that shame of when you get defrauded by someone. You know, know, Justin used to tell me he used to come all the time and I know now he's never had an orgasm. I mean I feel (laughs) that trust is broken now with Uh, us. uh, (laughs) I've worked so hard.
2: Uh, I only want to come one time. And I want it to be like Highlander, the quickening. Like I want to blow windows (laughs) out of a warehouse. I want there to be lightning.
3: We can get some special effects just because you, we can make that shit happen. Doesn't necessarily, and that's the kicker of like, just because you see it doesn't mean it actually happened.
1: That's true.
2: I want my sex tape to be like, like way better than any other celebrity sex tape. Like I want it to have
1: effects and stuff. Yeah. I want CGI
3: in mine. I want,
1: yeah. Just don't make me one of those like younger face people. Like, like I don't want one of those. Like, don't don't make me into like a big tree with like limbs and shit. I don't want one of those things.
3: <laughs> you don't, you don't want to be groovy is what I'm hearing.
1: Yeah, exactly. One of those weird hentai things. Um, okay, so we've got one taste. Nicole Daydone is living the good life. She's trademarked orgasmic meditation. She's got courses being sold aggressively by students encouraging their students to open up credit cards, to purchase their own classes, pressuring women to sleep with men, sexually enticing men so that they buy more classes, getting students to live in a house together, being so influenced that they were forced to sleep in beds with a person that was just assigned to them, and working, working all fucking day. And any commissions that were paid to them, they were encouraged to put back into one taste. I mean, come on. Justin dude i think we call that something don't we
2: yes a free labor system that gives only some sense of room and board even if it's not even the best conditions as it's, its only form of payment and it goes directly to a master if you will we we call this
1: slavery oh got it got it got it i just wanted to make sure something was the different.
2: forcing to sleep in someone like a bed with somebody that's like it's like, it's always sunny in Philadelphia or something, <laughs> too. It's like. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's also, it's like everything that you hate about dorms and just make it so much worse.
1: Yeah. It, it, imagine if you showed up for your college dorm it's like, there's just one bed. There's just, this is you and your roommate. There's just one bed.
3: Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply.
0: Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest.
4: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
2: Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense... So full of nutrient rich, high quality ingredients. Miracle Grow is simply the best.
1: So they were also listed in Inc. magazine as one of the fastest 5,000 growing companies growing it over like 100% for several years. It's important to mention, though, as I was like amazed by this stat and like how they ended up on this uh, like chart – I looked at the bottom in the footnote. It said that the companies self-report all of their data. So they were, oh, yeah. <laughs> so they were just <laughs> raking so in money like, well, left amazing.
2: and right.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, shit, I'm going to be on Ink's list next week. For, <laughs> we're doing very well here.
3: Can we just talk about Ink? Can we talk about... <laughs> Ink's uh, fact checkers, then I feel like they gotta revamp
1: their system a smidge of just like have have you checked the resource yet? I don't think there's what fact checker. There's gotta be no one fact checking. There's five thousand companies they put on this list, and they're just like people will be honest. Come on, we're ink, we're a reasonable place,
2: and there are only two thousand companies, like period. Anyway, exactly. so that's <laughs> what, like by the time you get to five thousand, it's just like three thousand of those are all penny stock scams.
1: <laughs> Yeah, one of them is just like a Popeye's franchisee (laughs) that's just in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Sally's hair care. Super cuts. (laughs) So this is peak one taste right now. In the magazine, money's flowing in, TEDx talk, books are being written, classes are happening, people are happy or they don't know that they're being traumatized or whatever's happening to them. But... When you have this much attention and you have this kind of overlap with tech, it's going to catch the attention of a place like Bloomberg. Because when you got a bunch of tech bros talking about this new erotic lifestyle and, you know, big tech still drives the markets. So knowing how these people come is actually sound investment advice. And so... (laughs) Uh, So in June of 2018, Bloomberg wrote their big piece on them, and it started to draw the absolute wrong kind of attention to them. This is straight from the Bloomberg article. One Taste says the company has changed, especially since Daydone stepped down as CEO last year to work on her next book and teach the occasional class. She also sold her stake in the company to a trio of One Taste members. So – Nicole Dayone in 2017, I believe, stepped down as CEO, whether she saw the writing on the wall or she didn't want to deal with the pressure of trying to actually keep money flowing in mm-hmm. and keep this scam going because, listen, we always talk about this on fraudsters. It takes a lot of effort to be a fraudster, mm-hmm. lying that much doing that much manipulation to wear psychically on people that's got to be difficult right Dr Jordan it definitely is and it's
3: also from a mental standpoint too from a memory standpoint you're gonna start getting lies mixed up you're going to forget whom you told what to if you're looking at trying to continue continuously accumulate that much money and looking at if there's no buy-in to the lying or the product and you've already got your need met you're not you're gonna slip up. And I get the impression that's a little bit what things were starting to happen is there were likely things that were slipping up, things that were not happening as often as they may be used to, because this was going on for quite some time.
1: I do think that in the beginning, Nicole daydon had diluted herself or distorted her own reality to think that what she was doing was good in the beginning, at least. And I think what happens, it's like we've seen it so many times, is that once they get in there, they're just like, well, if I just if I just do this. Then we'll get enough money and everything will be fine. Everyone has to be chill. But no, I got to get these people to just aggressively sell things. Okay, one time a girl can like wear a short skirt and fuck a tech bro and get a bunch of money. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. We'll just keep it moving. Right. I feel like that's like a slippery slope.
3: It definitely can be. And this is also where we get into the notion of power and coercion. So much of what this is about is not sex not sex, not orgasm, not meditation, not wellness. This is power dynamics. This is, I want to have power over you and money is a powerful resource and looking at the, the accumulation of power. And I think to some degree, this person may have believed that they were doing well of teaching women in particular, because this was definitely very much geared towards women, towards heterosexual women as well. There's a huge sexuality and sexual orientation divide in a lot of this material within their marketing. Yeah. And I think at one point she probably did believe some of these things for how long and at what mission statement that's actually was, I think, is still in question.
1: Yeah. And actually, it's funny you forget the the power stuff. In 2015, one taste paid an out-of-pocket. In 2015, one taste paid an out-of-court settlement to a former employee who claimed she experienced sexual harassment, sexual assault and labor violations on the job. I can't imagine where she got that from. Those seem like. Baseless claims. Definitely. I mean, it's the same
3: thing that happened with Activision Blizzard, right? I mean, there's baseless claims, and they definitely didn't try to destroy all of the
1: material about that. <laughs> Listen, World of Warcraft is a, is a proud sponsor of fraudsters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, because of that Bloomberg article in June of 2018, five months later in November, the FBI opened an investigation into one taste for. Drum roll please, prostitution, sex trafficking, and violations of labor law. Who would have thought? But here's the thing. No charges ended up being filed. Mm-mm. But just the investigation was enough because remember, money's got to come in. People got to trust the organization to give you money. And when an FBI investigation gets opened up, that's enough to really shake the company up mm-hmm. and really, really make things difficult.
3: And this relates to a lot of when we think about sexual assault as an overarching topic, the majority of people do not report sexual assault, whether that is for fear of the perpetrator hurting them again, threats of violence, coercion, or even when we look at the manipulation or belief that no one's going to listen to them, having an FBI investigation is pretty validating. And that's where I hope more survivors do come out and do speak about it. Yeah. It's very invalidating when there are not charges filed. It's
1: I can't imagine the frustration that some of these people must have felt. I mean uh, the chief executive officer uh, stepped down and was replaced by one of the co-owners and Julie Ayer uh, who I believe is still in charge uh, or rather was in charge of one taste for several years. One Taste eventually did close all of its U.S. offices in San Francisco, New York City, and Los Angeles and stopped offering in-person courses and retreats globally. The company says it's focusing now on putting its teachings online to reach a wider audience. We were looking around and our associate producer, Anna Laranaga, was able to find out this place called The Land. And it seems like this is maybe... The 2.0 version of One Taste. We don't know for sure if they're actually teaching orgasmic meditation there, but they are doing these generic workshops. And uh, one of the former executives from One Taste is the registered agent for the land. Her name is uh, Jessica Van Vleck. And so this is in Philo, California. Also, Nicole Day-Done's last known address is a P.O. box in Philo, California, the same place where the land is located. And this is just a giant property in in Mendocino County where they bring executives, entrepreneurs, to do consciousness workshops. And if you go to their website, uh, they have a two-month immersion, like an apprenticeship in craftsmanship and exploring yourself in community. Uh, Apparently, you join the apprenticeship doing one of two things, gardening or woodwork. But on the same page, okay. a quote from a former apprentice on the site, Mm -hmm. Julian Rosenberg says, quote, I came away from Lit, the apprenticeship program, with my attention honed and sharper and a knowing of my body of what it feels like when I'm turned on and engaged in my life
3: all classic
1: carpentry, Exactly
3: <laughs> all i'm thinking are we just missing the whole like garden bush and then woodworking like yeah. that is so underpinning of. Uh, we'll teach you how, how, to, to, how to how to how to groom your bush and how to play with your wood like they, they couldn't have been more <laughs> subtle like can they try at least try
1: to be it's more subtle just how many justin you had it right too man it's like what kind of carpenters going to a place like this like woodworking are you kidding me <laughs> oh maybe it's like in the george clooney and burn after reading maybe that kind of woodworking where he's making that bicycle with the dildo on it where you bike you pedal the bike and the dildo comes up. great movie cohen brothers little not as popular as some of the other ones one of my favorites though uh great political satire uh, Dr. Jordan, though, thinking about the land, when we talk about people that commit this type of manipulation, how do they stop? Do they stop? Once you once you pop, can you stop?
3: <laughs> bit not from, from a behavioral perspective. You're looking at the gambler's fallacy. You're looking at in, mm. intermittent reinforcement of, well, I'll just do it. and Just one more. Just one more. I'll just get one more and it'll work out this time. It'll work out this time. It's the accumulation of power because of the perception of the big win. It is a gambler's fallacy with other people's money,
1: other people's bodies, and other people's mental health. Yeah. And for the victims, some people came away from it with a positive experience, but yet the manipulation was still there. The power structures were still there. Can you be a victim if you don't know you are being harmed?
3: Yes. I mean, at the very base, when we look at trauma exp- exposure, trauma experience, It is the person's subjective, basically their subjective experience that the event was itself traumatic. We look at soldiers, not every single person who comes back from war identifies the war zone as a traumatic event, even though operationally we would define it as such. Within this, I would define most cults, most individuals who've gone through certain experiences like this would have survived a traumatic event. But if they don't describe it that way, we can't simultaneously looking at what distress do they experience as a result of going through it? Did they learn something from it? Is this post-traumatic growth that they're encountering of this wasn't the most positive encounter, but at least I came out of it alive and I came out of it with a different, a different experience or different mindset. We are not, it is not our job to define what is someone's trauma or not. Oh,
1: I like that. Well, I don't like that, but I appreciate the (laughs) conversation. Just Oh, Justin just sneezed. Did you get hard? Did you get, did you come a little mm. bit there? Justin, you- <laughs> Justin, just, just just, just, just I hear the just, word trauma. Um, all right, great. Um, that's it for that section, um, and that kind of wraps up what pickups I wanted to get. Doctor Jordan, do you have anything else you wanted to add here? Did we think? Do you think we covered enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I would good.
3: say there's also a component of looking at the work that she is claiming is not new. When we look at people who are actually legitimate in the sexual health and wellness world we look at people like betty dodson we look at like laurie Mintz, we look at emily nagowski these are people that have credentials behind them who have been very vocal and very transparent about what they do and using peer-reviewed evidence-based material and there are really great resources out there to learn how to calm your mind enough that you can calm your body down enough to have an orgasm or to experience pleasure. What she packaged was not new, it was just in a different wrapping
2: paper
1: and a
3: very
2: correct one. Do you have anything for calming you down so you're not orgasming like immediately? <gasps>
3: <laughs> actually, yes. Yeah. So the company that I um that's actually out here in Vegas, they're called Promescent, and they have a climax control spray for men that actually create for mm. premature ejaculation. So the actual answer is yes.
2: Climax? What? Let me hold on. Say that again. What's the name of the company? So
3: Promescent.
1: Promescent. Promescent,
2: and it's called Get some Promescent
3: spray. Yeah, yeah. It's climax yeah. control spray because a premature ejaculation is defined clinically as coming within 2 minutes of a typically penetrative encounter with a partner versus with two self mm-hmm.
2: but is it is it always like the man's fault or what if the woman is just dynamite
3: it, that's a, that's <laughs> totally okay again if it doesn't cause distress to you and or your partner not a clinical diagnosis people are like yeah he comes in 2 he comes in a minute and a half I'm a fucking badass bomb ass bitch fuck yeah but if he's like oh this is awesome and they keep doing other shit and people are happy yeah again it's subjective so it's
2: so it's only a condition if she doesn't like it yeah
3: pretty much (laughs) (laughs) nope or if you don't like it pretty much (laughs) the average amount of time it takes some um, uh, cisgendered male to come is five to seven minutes
1: yeah okay that makes sense There's a lot of breathing at the six minute mark. I'll tell you that. It's just
3: like you got to change positions. As we get older, I'm just like, I got a cramp in my fucking foot. Can we just change this a little
2: bit? I compensate. The way I do it now is I do one pump, but I space them out 20 minutes.
3: (laughs) And then I get to about eight pumps. Foreplay is super important. That is how that shit should be done. (laughs) the she comes Comes first book is highly recommended about how to increase foreplay and so much of probably what one taste was doing was taking material of like how to give head how to do digital finger-based penetrative or like that's that's so much of probably what this was it was just packaged very very differently none of this is new
1: yeah that makes so much money I got a whole property in fucking Mendocino County now.
3: Oh, my God. All right. Their fucking taxes are probably so expensive.
1: Yeah, I, but I bet you they, they, they had, like, three LLCs. Like, I went in and looked at the release form that they have on their website, which was their problem. So, it allowed me to, like, research all the companies that are associated with them, which allowed me to get their board of directors and mm-hmm. all the people. And that's how I was able to find the, the thing there. And they just – you just – cut up the corporate stuff. They're smart. That's the thing. They're fucking, they cut up the corporate stuff. So your taxable liability is going to be very low, I think. For,
3: yep. For them. You got to yes. create the protections for it within that too. And it's also, how again, how they've marketed what them, themselves as a wellness company. There's, there's a line in American History X that I think they, they do talk as difficult of a movie that is to get through, but talking about how you take these, like how coercion into gangs and groups and violence and things happen. And it's, you take vulnerable populations, people who don't perceive that they have a unifying group and support system and promise that them, the moment that you start saying, Oh, we're a family here. That's how, you know, that's a toxic work environment. That's how, you know, that's a tox. That's a cult. The moment you start saying that, when there's money involved, now now it's
1: bad. I will say, in California, you see a lot of that with stuff over here where people are like, this is our fate. We're all soulmates. It's a like, motherfucker. We just no, met. Not. <laughs> we just met. What are we talking about here? What are we doing? You know, idea, to-
3: it's trauma bonding. That's a. It's yeah. very rude. It's a trauma bond of saying, well, we've gone through this stuff. You have difficulties with this. Let's do this together. Yeah. You know? No, I so always
1: messed. it's I always. And we, I think we talked about this on the radio just the other day. It's like what these these celebrities come out. Oh, Nick Cannon, he came out mm-hmm. when his show got canceled. He was just like, "You all, my family. You all, we are together. We are one. <laughs> we cry together. We laugh." It's a motherfucker, you piece of shit. <laughs>
2: it's, <I just> fucking- <laughs> it's smart. People defend him. Yeah. yeah, And also,
3: like, isn't he? No, not Nick Wasn't Nick that just had a baby that passed away and then one that got born and, like, not yeah. really identifying? Like, there's some trauma there. There's a
2: lot. There's a oh, boy. yeah. He's. Yeah, yeah.
3: There's a lot there. Like, like Kanye. Like, we're seeing massive mental illness in the, in the public eye. And there's not only is there mockery, like, I don't like the idea of mockery, but also being like, oh, he's just eclectic and eccentric. No, that is violent. That is abusive and violent.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's became it's like people are using wokeness like against this. It's like you should be aware of mental health issues, but it's not like a get out of jail free card for like it never will be anything going forward. You know,
3: we would have a lot higher rates of homicide if mental illness was the root cause, if that was the cause of violence. Yeah, it would be at a much higher rate than it actually is.
1: So my last question is orgasmic meditation isn't bad, right? Like this is something anyone. Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, I I don't want to make this whole thing about like, let's shame this, this uh, orgasmic meditation thing, because when I was reading about it, I was like, you know what? This seems like something everyone should try. You know, Mm -hmm. it seems very reasonable. It's just all the the bullshit financial sales tactics and the Mm -hmm. organized fraud that kind of layered on top of it. Tell me, what are the benefits of orgasmic meditation.
3: And, and there genuinely are. And for some individuals, they don't call it orgasmic meditation. Like she mm. very much has taken that term and used utilized that. Branded but it's it, very, yeah. very much so. But when you think about having your mind involved during a sexualized encounter, whether with yourself or with your partner, Dr. Ruth, who I love very much and highly recommend, yeah. she has one of the best quotes which says, In sex, the most important six inches are the ones between your ears. And I love her for that because your brain needs to be involved, whether that's focusing on, well, what does, what, what are the sounds that you're hearing while your partner is inside of you? What are you feeling when your vibrator is on your clit? Really honing in on paying attention to your body, paying attention to the sensory data, bringing yourself into the moment, because so much of what impacts people's ability to have an orgasm, is that their brain is distracted, which means that their body is going to be distracted too. If we're thinking about the laundry list of things that we have to do while we're sitting there with our partner, we're likely not going to have an orgasm. So the very foundation of orgasmic meditation and what this person is coining is the idea of mindfulness, the idea of being in the moment that is very, very useful. And it does not guarantee an orgasm will occur, but it usually does increase the likelihood that pleasure and enjoyment will incur. The more enjoyment you have with sex, the less anxiety you're going to feel increases the likelihood that you're going to have an orgasm. That is actually what we're fundamentally aiming for is making it fun, making it pleasurable, making it enjoyable. That is going to be the most powerful thing. And your brain is a part of that. It is the, it is a, the biggest sex organ you have is your brain.
1: Damn. Do you hear that Justin? You need to tap into your brain, bro.
2: Speak for yourself about the. I know.
1: how you? are muted. Yeah, I'm muted.
2: Sorry, that's probably good. I was muted. That was a dumb joke. Okay. <laughs> it, was a, it was a dick joke.
1: Okay. Oh, oh you, you just slide
3: that one right in. That's usually how it <laughs> <Yeah>. goes.
1: <laughs> Well, Dr. Jordan, I think that's let's stop there for now. I think that honestly this was this is beyond my expectations. So I'm so happy <laughs> this worked out. Um I do, I will go back. I mean we talked for a while here, so this mm-hmm. is this is great because there's so much
3: There's a lot. There's that's way lot more there than I expected. Person.
1: I really thought it was just like this woman had an idea and then she did it and then she ruined a bunch of people's lives, but I didn't realize there's like a generation of stuff before that mm-hmm. built that set the stage for all this stuff.
3: We built so, this cult on
1: coercion, Uh, and I really love that advice about like enjoying sex and like you know, you know, like when you're in it with your partner is like, oh, do you leave the is the is the oven on? You know, is like, does the dog get fed? Mm -hmm. Is the garage to the baby? Is that the baby? Is the baby? You know, that's always a common cold nose, cold nose.
3: Suddenly, It's, it's so much of like that's what causes it. Like, it really genuinely is. Like our brains being distracted by it. And this person, I don't, I'm going to do a little hunting on my own specifically about her interventions too, because it's so generalized that it feels almost proprietary that she's not releasing enough information to actually know because she's keeping it to herself because she wants to make money, which from a business standpoint makes sense. But if there's no research done, and that's what it was kind of, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk a little bit about research issues within Morehead, Morehouse and everything like that, too. They're not releasing any of their data.
1: We don't know if this works. Just recently, and I have to, I want to follow up with this because I didn't want to talk about it here because I wasn't versed on it yet. After Daydone left in 2017 from One Taste, a new person took over. And there's like a study out of University of Pittsburgh that's supposedly about orgasmic meditation and the benefits of it. But still, to your point, orgasmic meditation could be good. But when you're coercing people in these sales tactics and you're doing all these things, it doesn't matter what fucking thing you have. You could have you could be selling, you know, smoothies Mm -hmm. and you do the same shit. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You could be selling vitamin C. It doesn't fucking matter. You fuck people's lives up Uh, and you force people into marriages basically too. force Mm -hmm. them into sex. I mean, it's just. Anyways, it's okay. so fucked. It's just, it's so I'm all fucked. Jacked up now. It's so fucked. Jeez. Dr. Jordan, this was amazing. I appreciate your time. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> and let's stay in touch. As always, Frosters is a production of Zero Cool Media and the Last Podcast Network. Hazel Bryan produced this episode. Ian Brannan is our editor. Our associate producer is Anna Laranaga. Emily Fusco is our researcher. Our legal intern is Greg Fingerhut. Our theme music is by Salman Tafik. And some music in this episode was composed by Chris Olson. Thanks so much to Dr. Jordan, and we'll see you next week.
0: Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest.